Well, it was 23 years ago, or he was in prison for 23 years. That is Nevis Coleman here, Nevis Coleman. And it was in 1994 that there was a brutal murder and rape of which he was accused and then spent the next 23 years in prison. It was in 2016 here in Cook County that they decided to reinvestigate the case and study what was happening back in 1994. In 2017, they did the DNA exam, and as they discovered, there was none of his DNA in any of the clothing, anything around the woman who had been so brutally murdered. In 2018, the judge then vacated the conviction. In 2018, they gave him a certificate of innocence. In 2018, he then was awarded as they brought suit against the city of Chicago. He was awarded for his 23 years in prison just under $170,000. It was in 2018 that the Chicago White Sox welcomed him back to his job that he held in 1994. And there's something in this story that certainly we get excited about that he is out of prison, that he has been set free, that he has been exonerated, that there is no conviction in his life. But there's something in all of us that rises up when there's injustice. If there's just something innate in our lives, we would say it this way, God has put it in our hearts that we stand or feel the injustice. We stand against it or we feel it and we get outraged with it. It says in Psalm 89, verse 14, it says this, the throne of God is on the foundation of righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. And that is the God that we worship. And we see this all through Scripture, right? There is this Father in heaven who is on the side of those who are needy, those who are poor, those who are destitute, right? The widows, the one who is an orphan, the immigrant, or today we might refer to them as the refugees. God is on their side because they're the ones who are often vulnerable. They're the ones who are weak. Those are the people that need someone in their corner. Well, this morning, we're going to ask a question. If that is true, that this is really God's heart, He is a father to the fatherless. He does stand in the corner for the widow, the single mom, the single dad that seems isolated and alone. If he is on the side of the refugee, if he truly is the one that stands in the corner of all these people that are really, really needy, how should you and I live? If you have your Bible, a device, would you open with me to Micah, the Old Testament prophet Micah, he prophesied the same time as Isaiah to the tribe of Judah. And so as we looked at this, Micah 6, verse 8, if we could just read this together. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray together. 
God, as we read these few words, we recognize that there's a moment where we're either going to let these words come into our heart or we're going to resist them. There's a time when we say, yes, this is the God I follow. This is the Father that I adore. This is the one I want to know. I want to follow in his steps. God, would you give us that heart this morning as we go deeper into this simple verse? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 What a simple way to come together. So glad we're here. So glad you're online this morning that we could worship together. We could study a passage together. We could take something serious in our culture and look at how God wants us to live in the midst of it. Now, as I said, Micah was a prophet. He was prophesying to the, north, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah the same time as Isaiah. So there's going to be some things where we see some overlap there. But as we read this simple verse, we begin to get a sense that God is giving us kind of a summary, if you will, of how to live. I'm going to make three simple points this morning. One is going to be an upward focus, one is going to be an outward focus, and one is going to be an inward focus. Upward, outward, and inward. The first thing I'd like to do is bring us into the first point, and that is that God delights in a heart posture of humility. This is the, the upward side of it. God delights in a heart posture of humility. There's something that we see as God wants His Son, Jesus Christ, to explain Him that we see in Jesus Christ this humility. As someone who is a perfect human being, so that women could understand God, so that men could understand God, we have this perfect human being Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, and he lives among us, and he's going to show us the heart of the Father. He's going to show us how the Father's rolling. And so as we look at this, we want to go into the passage in Isaiah, and I want to start, obviously, as you can tell by my first point in this, this last phrase, to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. And we, we learn this through, as I've said, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who comes to this earth and he says, I know the Father and I can explain him. And I can get you to the Father. No one else can get you to the Father. So Jesus is, is bringing all this together. And so as we read this in Micah, he's going to show us, Jesus is going to show us how to walk humbly with our God. Now you remember the scene, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, and he comes up out of the river, and, and there's this, this picture of almost like this dove descending on Jesus. And that's significant, right, because we're, we're recognizing that Jesus is one that is filled, controlled, empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is the age of the Spirit. We need to live in the power of the Spirit. So Jesus comes up out of the Jordan River, and there's this voice, and it's a voice out of heaven. And the voice says, this, this is my son, who I'm very pleased with. Listen to him. Listen to him. Now, some people that day, they weren't sure what they heard. 
There's some people here right now who are not sure what they're hearing. Are these just human words by the prophet Micah? Or are these divine words, words from God for us today in the 21st century? So that when we hear a story about Nevis, we're, we're rising up. We can't stand by. Someone needs to take action, right? So, so they hear this voice. Some of them clearly hear it as a voice from heaven that this is God saying, this is my son, my beloved son. This is the son in whom I love, in whom is all of my delight. Listen to him. Listen to him. So, so those are, are the words. Well, then we read in the New Testament, we read something like in Philippians chapter 2. And let me just turn there. You don't need to turn there. But it, it's Jesus being described who in the very nature is God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And then it says this, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And how did he humble himself? He humbled himself by emptying himself or becoming this servant-like person, right? This humble person. So we see this in the passage. It's then that God exalted him. So when we think of this, we think of Jesus as this one who comes to this earth in humility. He condescended. He comes out of heaven. Here he is, fully God. Worthy of all devotion, worthy of all worship, worthy of everyone submitting to him, but he humbles himself. Now, why am I linking Micah and Isaiah together? Because it was in Isaiah chapter 42 that talked about this servant that God was going to send to this earth. And part of what Isaiah, who was writing at the same time as Micah, who was both both of them were writing to the southern tribe of Judah, the southern kingdom, I should say. They record these pictures. But Isaiah says this, a bruised reed I will not break. A smoldering wick I will not snuff out. That's what this servant was going to do. Now, as you start thinking about this picture and you start thinking of stories in the Bible, we should be overwhelmed with how Jesus engaged with people just like you and me. We may not see ourselves in some of the same ways, but what the Bible is trying to do is say, here's you, here's me, here's how we are in this world. So I think of John chapter 5. There's a man for almost four decades, he's described almost 40 years. It actually says very specifically 38. Think of this in four decades. Here's a man that's described as an invalid. Probably paralyzed. He can't walk. He can't move. Limited in anything he can do. Any one of us that knows people that are living with chronic illness, we know what that's like for them in this sense. They wrestle with 
despondency, disappointment, sometimes despair, depression. If you have this illness that just won't go away and every day you're dealing with it, and we get a taste of it. That's why I say some of us can identify with it. But unless you have a chronic illness that's serious like that, it's hard to enter into it. And these people that have these things, so you can imagine this man for almost four decades, the wrestling with despair, despondency, depression. Does God really see me? And then what do we get? We get Jesus walking onto the scene and he sees this man. You know how I know Jesus sees him? Because the Bible tells me he sees him. In John chapter 5, verse 6, it says this. It says that Jesus sees him. What a word picture. Do you know how many rabbis walked by this man? Do you know how many religious people saw him laying by the pool of Bethesda? Do you know how many people just walked on right by? Not Jesus. Maybe that day, the wick was about to be snuffed out. You ever know anybody like that? They're they're just holding on hoping something will change tomorrow. You can fight the fight of faith just one more day. But it says something else about Jesus. It's not only that he saw this man, it says Jesus learned about him. He learned. Now, it doesn't really tell us how Jesus learned about him. But we can imagine a couple ways. Once you see something that seems unfair, why is this man struggling for almost four decades? Why is this man having illness for almost four decades? You start finding out their story. How would you find out someone's story? Wouldn't you just go ask people, hey, hey, do you know this man? Do you know what happened to him? Do you know why he's here and how he gets by this pool of Bethesda? Do you you know what he believes or what he thinks? Do you know what he feels? Certainly we could imagine Jesus doing that. But I could also imagine Jesus just going right to the man and saying, tell me your story. Tell me your story. This is what our students need today. They're getting bombarded with messages and they have strong, deep feelings being built in a culture that is just filled with all kinds of true and false messages. And they're feeling deeply about things and they're wrestling with issues. And they need someone to come alongside and say, tell me your story. I can imagine Jesus getting on his knees and getting face to face with this man. Looking him in the eyes and saying, tell me your story. I want to know about you. Imagine a single mom trying to work, trying to keep kids fed and clothed, trying to hold some order in the home. 
and she feels stressed and anxious. And just someone coming to her and saying, tell me your story. Tell me your story. I care. That, that, that's what's going on in John chapter 5. It's, it's Jesus in humility coming up to people that cannot do anything for themselves. They're stuck. Luke chapter 7. Jesus is at a dinner party. It's the home of a Pharisee. A big dinner party. They're drinking and eating and laughing. And it's a great moment. Until, until this woman walks in. And, And this woman knew about Jesus. Makes it clear in the passage. And she's weeping. One thing about a party is usually you don't want someone coming in weeping, do you? But she comes in weeping. She's got a bottle of oil. Now some people read Luke 7 and they think, oh, this is Mary Magdalene. Probably not because she gets mentioned in the very next chapter and it would seem like Luke would have linked this together. But here's this woman and she's described as a sinful woman. Not exactly sure what we should package into this, but certainly that woman could have been me. And if you're not too proud, you would say, that could have been me. Are we not all sinful people? Oh, if you compare yourself to me, you're great. (laughs) But if you compare yourself to a holy God, all of a sudden you got to say, hey, I'm sinful. So, She comes into the party. She's carrying this oil. She's weeping and she falls at Jesus' feet. She starts wiping his feet with her hair. Then she starts kissing his feet. And then she anoints him with oil. Beautiful, beautiful picture. That's about the woman. What I'm interested in is Jesus. What does he do? You know what? Jesus doesn't stop her. He welcomes her and receives her. And then Luke lets us in on what the Pharisee Simon is thinking. And Simon is thinking, if this Jesus was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she was. And he, he wouldn't wouldn't let her touch him. And then Jesus, he looks at Simon. You know what he says? Simon, do you see this woman? Simon, do you see this woman? I come into your house for this great party. Customary to wash the guest's feet. Simon, you didn't wash my feet. And here this woman, she's on her knees washing my feet with her tears. What a nice greeting. Simon, did, did you see this woman? She's kissing my feet. Simon, you know, in our culture, when we greet each other out of respect, we kiss each other on the cheek. 
Simon, you didn't even give me a kiss. Just showing there's no respect. But this woman's kissing my feet, showing homage and honor, dignity to the one who feels no dignity, of the one who feels no dignity. And then, Simon, did you see? She brings in this expensive perfume and she anoints me. A sign of blessing, a sign of joy. Simon, you, you, you didn't anoint me. But look at this woman. Do you see her? See, what these passages are doing is they're showing us the heart of God. The heart of God towards people. And too often we, we pull ourselves away from these passages. And we, we don't enter into them. And we miss out so much on what God wants to show us. Look what it says in Jeremiah chapter 29. It says, here's what the Lord says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him or her who boasts, let them boast in this. Are you ready for what we should boast in? That he or she understands and knows me. Well, how do we know the Father? It's always Jesus saying, I'll show you the Father. I'll show you what He's like. I'm going to expose His heart. I'm going to show you how God interacts with the world. So if we're going to boast, we need to boast that we know and understand God. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. Remember, the throne of God, Psalm 89, verse 14, His throne is held up by righteousness and justice. For in these things, God says, I delight, declares the Lord. I, declare, I delight in these things. So this is the heart of God, right? To, to walk humbly. This is the upward look that we need. Do we have this heart posture of humility? But let me hit the second point, and that is, it comes into Isaiah very clearly, or uh, Micah, he says, remember as we read, do justice, right? This is what God requires of us, to do justice. Now, when you read your Old Testament, you find over and over there's four groups of people that are constantly brought out. That God's got his eye on. The widow. Well, why? She's vulnerable. People take advantage of widows. Older people. We had a woman a few years ago in our church. She went and got her car repaired. Didn't even need a repair. Charged her $1,000. God saw that. But you know what? Some people in Fox Valley saw that. You know what they did? They marched right down to that mechanic. A couple of mechanics in our church went, called them out, and got her money back. 
Yesterday, I was with a gentleman in our church. Went to a car dealer. Older man. Car dealer wanted to charge him eight or $900 to repair a muffler. Things didn't go so that they could move quickly on it. He goes to another place. It was about one-third the price. God sees people that are vulnerable. This culture takes advantage of people. And God is saying, you've got to do justice. This is the outward look. This is the outward steps. Here's another group of people, the fatherless. Over and over we hear that God says, defend the fatherless. Those are orphans. These are the people that are vulnerable. And that's why I'm excited in Fox Valley Church that we have a ministry called Replanted, that we're concerned about these people that are out there, these kids that are vulnerable. They're being oppressed. They're being taken advantage of and they can end up in all kinds of places. And God says, I I have a heart for those people. Well, I love what Fox Valley Church does in this direction. We can't do everything, but we can do something. I love to hear the adoption stories. I love to hear the fostering stories. I love to hear how we as a church can intervene and this is what God is saying to do. If you want a summary statement of the Christian walk, it's walk humbly with God and do justice. Engage. You've got to see and you've got to learn these things. Here's the third, the immigrant. The immigrant, the, the refugees today. People being oppressed, and I know this is a hot button in our culture, and we have so politicized so much, and what I'm saying is you better calm yourself when it comes to the politics of this. And you better see that God's heart is on the side of refugees and immigrants. I'm not trying to answer all the questions that come into play. I know it's complicated. I know it's difficult. But I want us to know that God's telling us, step in. Be careful where you go. Don't just follow the culture. Tying these two together, children and issues of other cultures. I remember years ago, Kathy and I were serving in the Philippines. We go into the back provinces. And at night, the young girls are given a sewing machine. And a generator so that they could work from after school clear until about 10 o'clock at night. Making Oshkosh garments. They get into this country and we're selling them for $40, $50, $60. At that time, they were getting 10 cents a garment. Who's exploiting who? Now, I know I'm bringing up issues of capitalism. And I know there's tremendous fruits of capitalism. But let's not pretend that people are not being exploited, that these young girls are not being taken advantage of, that things aren't happening. My own sad story, I'm in Mexico. And you know, we like to barter, we like to get into things and get a good deal, right? That's part of what we like to do. So here I am, I'm trying to find a a hammock. And I, I find one and I'm bartering with the guy. Over a dollar. So I feel good about walking away with a good deal. And then God convicts me. What if that man needed that dollar that day so that he could buy bread for his kids? I didn't learn his story. I didn't see him as possibly someone just trying to eke out a living in this fallen world. 
We need to be careful is what God's telling us to do. And then the last group is the poor, the needy, the destitute. Those four groups of people, the widows, the orphans, the fatherless, the immigrant, the poor, right? The needy, the destitute. He's saying do justice towards those. And I could tell all kinds of stories about them, but we see this over and over in the the scriptures. Let me just hit one more. Uh, Psalm 82 verse 3, give justice. In other words, defend the cause. Step in out of love to the weak and the fatherless. Notice this. It says, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue them. Rescue them. Deliver them. Because people are taking advantage of them over and over again. So Micah 6, 8. Let me hit quickly on the third point. What does he say to do? He says, I'm telling you the summary statement now, an inward look. Love to love people. That's all he's saying. Love kindness. Love kindness. Love kindness. Now, inside all of us is this sense of injustice if you're sitting somewhere and you see at the table next to you in the restaurant someone stealing something off the table there's something in you that says i got to get involved i got to step up i got to stop this if you don't take action at least you feel it in your heart someone's being wronged here you see a bully on the playground something in you says that's not right i don't have to convince anybody but there's something in our hearts. We'll never get rid of all the injustice in the world. But where we get a perspective is the cross. We need to climb the hill to Calvary. And we need to sit at the foot of the cross. And as Gina Lee told us just a little bit ago, it's the cross, the great unfairness in this world that actually then ultimately brings all fairness, all justice. We need to love this kindness of God who stepped in. And we need to make sure our hearts are in that place. Well, this morning, as we think about this, all of us need to take action. We need to step in for another's care or cause. We need to have our eyes open. So let me just pray for us that we would do that. Father, don't let us walk by people. Let us see people as needy and helpless, wanting someone to step in. God, would you, would you help us? And then God, give us the courage. Some of us are timid and we don't want to get involved. Sometimes we don't want to call 911. We don't want to call the police. We don't want to give our hard-earned money. Father, would you forgive us? again but god give us eyes to see let us learn stories and then let us do justice we pray in jesus name